Remember, keep fit in self-defense. One finger can be a deadly weapon. And welcome to the Hooving Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. Meow. I'm Colin. And tonight we're going to start uh, looking at the story Survival, which is the very final story from the classic season. Oh man, for for a finale and a finale of the whole classic series, you know, it, it seems oddly cut short at the end here. What's what's going on here, Michael? Well, of course, they had no idea at the time that they were creating or writing this story that it would be the final story. So uh, the author, um, unfortunately, uh, she had to uh, just kind of tack on a a little ending, although I don't think she was the one. It may have actually been John Nathan Turner that wrote the ending, which shows that he actually had some decent skills writing it. Um, but I think he did. I think he was the one that tacked it on at the end and had Sylvester dub it in while Ace and the Doctor are walking away because obviously he wasn't actually saying anything during that time. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, that those final words that Sylvester says were tacked on at the very end after they found out, oh, this is it. This is this is Doctor Cancellation Who's... station. Well, it wasn't canceled. See, that's what a lot of people don't realize is that Doctor Who has never actually been canceled. It was put. It, it was put on cause... an indefinite hiatus. Mmm. Okay. I know. Is that like so the BBC could retain the rights or something? If I was the BBC and I bought and I brought the um, Doctor Who back. I would say that, you know, it's always on indefinite hiatus. I think it was more that they always had an idea to um, to bring it back. Um, I know that Russell T. Davies has been quoted as saying that it would have been actually brought back a lot sooner. Um, but there were certain events that took place, and I'm not exactly sure what they were. But all I know is that because of those events that took place, Doctor Who was pushed all the way to 2005. But it very well could have. It was, but like if you real if you think about it, Big Finish starts around nineteen ninety nine. I think the idea was that they were going to try and resurrect Doctor Who around the same time that Big Finish had started its classic Doctor Who run, where it brought back Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann as Doctors and did stories with their companions and their basic ideal. And by the way. I, I should mention, if you haven't out there listened to any of the Big Finish production audio stories, a lot of them are far better than anything from the classic series. So, and I'm not saying I'm not knocking on Genesis of the Daleks or Caves of Androzani because I know there are some really good gems of the classic series. 
But Big Finish does Doctor Who right. They they bring justice to the '80s Doctors, which of course are usually maligned and and made fun of uh, by a lot of people. Although I think in more recent times, I think Sylvester and Colin at least have profited from their time as the Doctor a lot. I think people have looked more kindly on their their tenures, which because they go to stuff. Well, yeah, Colin. They're, they're, they're nice to the fans. It makes a difference. It does make a huge difference. Um, although I, I think you can say that's probably true for most of the actors who are in the role right now. If anybody's doing... Yeah, but but like some of the, you know. I mean, Sylvester, I, I had a conversation with Sylvester McCoy when I met him this past year at AwesomeCon. So we really, I mean, he was able to talk to us for a good 20 minutes. So I, I, I mean, that's the kind of actor or or performer that you want to be able to go see is someone who's actually going to be able to talk to you and make and make things a little bit more fun (laughs) yeah and also i mean honestly i heard you know a lot of bad things about you know the seventh doctor sylvester mccoy's like era and i think that really it was the first season was really like, his first season was really bad. And then, like, but this season has been good. I mean, we've been enjoying all of these ones. Like, there's been some great story going on. I think that, you know, and, like, Ace has a big part of that. And, you know, just the writing has a big part of it. And I think that it's it's kind of a shame. Andrew Cartmel came in as the script editor, and he had a plan. And his plan was to make the series more uh, accessible to everybody, but not just everybody, but also make it more interesting. Give the companion a more centralized plot, which is, of course, now more readily accepted in today's Doctor Who stories. Because it's better. It's much better. You get a more emotional attachment to Ace because she's actually got a lot of backstory. She has a lot going on during her tenure. And she has a lot going on in this story specifically. In this story, yes. This is is a very... I mean, the the last story, Curse of Fundric, was obviously an Ace-centered focus. Ghostlight was an Ace-centered focus. If you could up the ante a little bit and make it even more A-centered, central uh, focus. Yeah, it was going in that direction, right? I yeah. mean, that was the whole point. And they were planning on having Series uh, 27. They, were, they, were, they had plans for 27. They had uh, stories that were already being written or etched out. 28 and Dr. Ace? Well, Ace would have only been around for one more story or one more season, depending on how things worked out. Because um, Sophie was planning on leaving. Um, but she was going to be at least in the next story. Um, and they were going to try and write her out. I think the idea was there was either going to be a death or there was going to be something more spectacular for her oust, um, which I'm glad that they didn't kill her off because <laughs> we got her in the, in the uh, Centennial story. Finally. Yes, exactly. Um, but anyway, back to survival. Um, I, I think yeah, so we see like Ace's hometown. She actually goes back to visit, well, not her family, but her friends and stuff and see what's up, which, you know, we don't really see before this point. And then we see her make a really strong connection with a Cheetah woman and, you know, during this episode and have like, and then have to grieve over her. And she already had strong connections with her friends, but she seemed to be more interested in the Cheetah woman that that kind of turned her. But I think it makes sense because the theme was Ace was 
being changed and being turned. Like brainwashed, kind of. I more than brainwashed. She was actually becoming a cheetah person. She was actually yeah, becoming she was feeling the thrill of the hunt on on the yeah wanting that they they were on and running she was, she with was, the grass under her feet. Yeah, she was getting ready to take on the values and everything else because it felt good. There was something primal about it. But at the same time, she also knew that she had to be more careful. She had to make sure that she wasn't changing completely because she didn't. She obviously wanted to continue with the yeah, doctor. Others that changed much faster in a much more drastic way, you know, even the master. It's well, I mean, well, the master. It's hard, the master had been there. We don't know how long before they showed up, but yeah. like it did seem to be that he and Ace kind of overcame it through, you know, sheer willpower. So I think it was more the other people really, you know, didn't have a strong, you know, sense of self, a strong wills. Well, the only other person that was really changing was Midge. And Midge was the one that, that was the kind of the other, he was kind of like the master's pet in a sense. The right, master, but the master was also changing. Yeah, no, well that's, yeah, I realize that, but the master already was controlling it. What I'm saying is that Midge became the, the, the puppet or the the little pet that the master would have or the I guess you could call him a companion temporary companion because the master will never keep anybody for any length of time but he um, he needed him to go back to earth obviously um, and I find that to be kind of an intriguing uh, storyline is this these kitlings that can go back and forth between worlds to, to actually hunt down prey for the cheetah people Actually, what I thought was the more interesting part of this story, although granted that was interesting, uh, mm -hmm. was just that the master basically got into a bad situation and couldn't figure it out and had to suck it up and get the doctor's help. And the, the way he communicated with it was by, you know, causing these cheetah people to like just take a bunch of humans from this area that he knew the doctor would care about yep. until the doctor noticed and showed up and got in the thick of things and came through and just like I mean that's just a beautiful demonstration of like how well the doctor and master know each other and we really see that theme through this whole story well, and not only that but the master's plan actually works because the doctor does come and the master is able to escape back to Earth. Although he's yeah. not able to steal the TARDIS, but <laughs> No, he can't quite do that. The doctor kinda of stops that. <laughs> but there is this kind of rivalry. I mean the master has always been the Moriarty to to, to the doctor, in a sense. Kinda of like Sherlock. Um, I think I think that in this particular story, we do have a pretty decent dynamic. I think Anthony Ainley is actually able to do something. That's the master. Yes. Um, sorry. Yes, he's actually able to, to do something as the master in the story, far beyond what he's done in, in some of the other stuff. I mean, when he was... In Peter Davison and Colin Baker's eras, the master didn't really get to do as much... Uh, as much of a role as he did in this particular story. Yeah, I mean, like, he was there a lot, but he was just kind of there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was either shrunken, or he just happened to be in the right place at the right time to just show up in the story. Yeah, or he was just kind of, like, ineffective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, for instance, Mark of the Ronnie, the Master almost doesn't even need to be in the in there, other, oh. than, other than the really cool... Uh, like banter between the sixth doctor and then the master. Yeah, and pl plot wise, he doesn't need to be there, but like 
essence and enjoyment of the story-wise, he absolutely needs to be in that one. Well, because the Ronnie totally makes fun of both of them, so it, well, that's, it works out. Like, that, in my opinion, is the whole point of that story, is <laughs> seeing the Doctor and the Master and the Ronnie, like, chatted up. It's a big well, character piece. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's other things going for it. But anyways, but that was just survival. He's not hiding himself, well, except for the very beginning. But, I mean, in general, he, the Master is literally on a planet where he's not disguised as some other character or creature just so that he can then reveal himself, which seems to be out of place in half the 80 stories that he's in, at least. Yeah, this one, the reveal was awesome. I felt like, oh, man, the Master's here. It's about to get real. And I don't always feel that when the Master shows up. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I, this is this was very well done. I think the direction was well done, the, the writing. Yeah, well timed for the Master, and really well timed for an episode, I think. One of the strengths here is its pacing, especially compared to a lot of its brethren, you know, in the classic era. But I, I think there was very little filler here. You know, there was very um, little um, that happened and that we saw that didn't need to be on screen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I appreciate it. It kept me, kept me going. There's always one thing going on to the next. Um, you had wonderful, you know, cheetah tabaxi people on horseback chasing people down. That was pretty fun. And I'm sure... You know, this episode alone born a, a lot of furry persons into the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, on that uncomfortable note, <laughs> I, I also liked uh, in this one, well, I guess it's not really in this one, the, the brilliance comes later, is uh, in Survival, Ace talks about like, oh, Doctor, why did you land on a Sunday? Sundays are so boring. Why would you ever do that? And in Silence in the Library, the 10th Doctor with David Tennant story, the Doctor tells Donna, oh, don't worry, I never land on Sundays. Sundays are boring. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of see Ace rubbing off on the Doctor. Yeah, definitely nods to the past. Another interesting part that where it's retroactive is that Rona Monroe, who actually wrote the story, also wrote The Eaters of Light, which is a Jodie Whittaker story with the... That's a... Uh, Peter Capaldi story. Or no, you're right. Peter Capaldi story. Sorry. I like that one. Yeah. So so she came back for Doctor Who's in, in the future. Go figure. In but, the future, in the past. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Eaters of Light does take... Does, isn't that in the past? Yeah, it's, it's like, like way in the past. Some present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all over the place. Yeah. Real timey-wimey. Different <laughs> streams of time. <laughs> So we've got this Sergeant Patterson who's running his, uh, it's like a little dojo for, but not quite. I, I really yeah. thought he was going to be more effective in the survival, like, world that they got taken to. No, he's just a nag neighborhood kind yeah. of watch guy. You know? I, I know, like, but I like thought like the he was like but, yeah, buffing up the well, he was kind of the cheerleader trying to get everybody to, to say, okay, we're going to survive this, we're going to get through this. But then he didn't really listen to the one person who was telling him, don't move, don't run. Yeah, if but not he, even Ace listened that time. Well, then she did start listening. Shireen was also listening, I, I believe. Or Srila, rather. Oh, yeah. Um, I, At some point. I just think that um, in this partic pic particular case, you're right, he had no... He wasn't very effective, but I think that was the point, was that he's teaching a class about survival. Now, in a real-world setting, what he was teaching may have helped a little bit, 
although it was a bit he was a bit violent in his approach but obviously you take him out of that and put him into a very unreal world experience and he's just going to be a fish out of water yeah, yeah you take some of that unreal experience you bring him back to the real world and your whole empire is toppled yeah, you know, like he, he really he really couldn't like handle it. He was just like, nope, I deny everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes it it takes someone like that to to really deny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this is a tight little story. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's interesting because when I first watched it, I was like, man, this seems very short. After watching it this time, I noticed that the second episode was only 17 minutes long, and the first one was only, like, 20. And I I think that's great, because I think that they, you know, the story was as long as it needed to be. Yeah, it it tightens it up a bit. The direction works pretty well. There wasn't really a whole lot of fluff scenes. Yeah, I can't Um, think of what they could have put in that time that would have been additive. I think bringing it back to modern-day Earth... um, in 1989 actually also made this feel a lot different from any story that had come before Um, because we were actually put into an actual neighborhood we were and with like apartment buildings and houses playgrounds playgrounds And, and it was ace's neighborhood it was ace's neighborhood and like going to midge's house and finding his sister there not sure what's going on with her brother that kind of now I'd like to know, where the heck is her parents? That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, my God. If you're going to have a flaw here, there are no parents in this entire story, unless they're all at work, which then it would make sense. But why is the daughter home alone, unless Midge was supposed to be there with her? It's not like Midge got rid of the mother. Midge got rid of mom? That doesn't make sense, though. What's the little girl going to do? Just sit there at home and... Well, Midge is a wild animal, I mean... I don't I know. I thought that's what the little girl said. Well, Midge became the animal. He became the, the cheetah. Yeah. She, But she saw him after he had returned. That doesn't explain what she's doing there alone before he was there. Oh, maybe I misinterpreted it wrong, but I, I thought I heard that she said that um, she, like, kicked out her mom or something. Yeah. I, I oh, okay. That that mom. could be. That That's true. I... I I think she did mention something along those lines. So that explains one parent, at least. (laughs) Okay. The whole town was, like, really gung-ho on survival of the fittest. It was, you know, did seem like a pretty good town to target if you just want to have some good sport hunting. (laughs) Oh, one of my favorite scenes is when the doctor's putting out the uh, cat food to try and lure the cat over and the dog comes over and then the and then that woman looks out her window seeing the doctor in her yard and she's like come on what do you mean what are you doing you gotta get out of here and the doctor's just like oh hi how are you well no it was because she was upset about the cats being around her house and he was feeding the cats in front of her house yeah i'm sure that (laughs) that makes sense but the doctor just keeps looking at her like, hi, how are you? You know, I really liked that whole sequence where, you know, Ace is going around like being like, what's up with all these missing people? And the doctor just can't be bothered to listen because he's focused on the cats. And, you know, of course, because it's Doctor Who, they're both actually following leads that go to the same place. And yep. it, like, even though like I knew that that's where it was going, it was so fun to watch. It was just like heaps of dramatic irony. 
Well, I think the doctor, I mean, if you watch the doctor in the beginning, he notes that the person that should have been washing their car was no longer there and the bucket was just turned over. So the doctor, I think, was already making the observations that people are disappearing. So he probably didn't need to hear any more about who was missing. He just knew, knew that it was already happening. But he also, he knew ahead of time what the kitlings were. So oh, that's he, true. he would have understood that people would be disappearing because they were being hunted by those kitlings because he already knew it was he already knew what was going on. Again, the seventh doctor seems to have all this preliminary knowledge about everything that's going on. So there's not a whole lot of exploration or wonder. It's more like I'm manipulative and I can and I know exactly what's going on. And I can manipulate myself in all these situations so I can get out of it. It's great. It it is. Um, it just. It loses a little bit of a sense of wonder, I think, which is essential to Doctor Who. But, but it doesn't because the sense of wonder comes from the companions. True. They do go and see some pretty amazing sights. And, and, and that, that's kind of a theme that I really enjoy in Doctor Who, which is just like the Doctor, you know, sometimes goes too far and really it, you know, he always has to turn back to like, okay, these companions ground me. And, like, what's good and... Yep. Talking about visuals and 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 grounding, I was thinking that the uh, planet surface of the cheetah people seemed pretty well realized for yeah. the budget that the BBC had. It was not... I mean, there was a lot of sequences where they had to have the sky colored or, or like, uh, vents where, like... Air was being yeah, I blown think it up. worked pretty well. I, honestly, at, at the at the first time that I, I just kind of saw the switchover, I must have not been looking or something. I thought, oh, they just go down an alley through this park, and and now they're in the woods here. Oh, there's a lot of open terrain <laughs> and dirt now. It's a very visual but, episode. You really have to keep your eyes on what's going on, otherwise you're gonna miss what in the world happened. <laughs> yeah, it goes quick, just like cheetahs do. <laughs> That's true. But Wait. some some cheetahs apparently go faster on horseback. Yeah. That was one interesting part of this, was the whole horses thing. Well, but I mean, like, if you think about how anthropomorphic they were, it would make sense, you know, if they'd lost all of their body structure that makes them run fast. Yeah. But it was also, like, there was not enough stealing of horses in this, because there were, like, so many opportunities for, you know, numerous of the good guys to, like, steal a horse. (laughs) I, one thing I was curious about is when, Kara, the cheetah person. I'm guessing that she was probably a human that it turned into a cheetah person. Yeah, that's why point. she turned back into a human. Yeah. And, and why she could, way. you know, Or maybe she travel. was a cheetah person that was influenced to find her humanity. Could be. I should point out that Lisa Bowerman, who plays Kara, actually went on to be uh, Professor Bernice Summerfield in all of the audio stories that she's in in Big Finish. She has her own series as Professor Bernice Summerfield. And Bernice Summerfield actually was a character that started off in the the, uh, Doctor Who novels during the 1990s when they started making the Seventh Doctor novels. And she became kind of a companion to the Seventh Doctor and Ace. Um, and then in the audio stories, they used uh, Lisa Bowerman as the person. And she, she's been in many Doctor Who stories, especially with Sylvester McCoy. But then she had her own series. Cool. So I thought that was kind of cool. 
So, any rate, should we rate? Let's rate. All right. Well, I've mentioned before, and I'll mention again. This episode was really well timed. Really good rhythmic pattern. Um, I love a good cheetah on horseback. Don't get me wrong. And I, I felt some real primal energy in nature here. Um, I loved, you know, some good eccentricism once again. Um, but I think the doctor had great moments. We had great master moments to really shine throughout here. Um, I, I think my masters should be wear cats more often. Um, <laughs> this was a nice tight episode. Um, it, you know, it was weird that it was a finale like this, and it was really, it didn't feel like one <laughs> in terms of a series mm-hmm. finale. But it was a great episode nonetheless. I think, think it was well written, it was well shot, and you know, presumably for the budget of the BBC, it was very excellently done. Um, there are some other things that I like to get out of my Doctor Who episodes, and you know, it, it, it is not a perfect episode by any means in, in my eyes, um, but I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. All right. Yeah, I um, I think it was extremely well paced. I really liked Ace and the Doctor and the Master in this. I thought that they were all very strong um, and really shown a lot. But yeah, to Colin's point, I mean, it's not like there was, you know, really interesting philosophical dilemmas going on here or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, might not make the snuff of, like, the greatest episode, but... Uh, Really, this story had a lot going on for it. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Um, I will s- mention that some of the acting seemed a little bit off, for s- especially some of Ace's friends. Um, that was fair. You know, car wash guy, I'll call out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the milkman, too. I, it didn't make sense that he gets transported to another planet, first sees a whole bunch of humans, but instead of going, oh my God, help me, or oh, oh help me, help, or, or talking to them about what's just happened, instead he screams and runs, and then the cheetah person comes. And I'm just like, I couldn't understand that. That was not... Well, it seemed like he was running for a cheetah person, and all of a sudden was transported, and he's still running. Yeah, it just... on adrenaline. I guess, but it just, it seemed a little out of place. It, and, it did. Um... But, I mean, overall, small little things like that do give it a few hiccups. But overall, I do, I do like this. I think the, the soundscape of both the special sound effects and the music were vastly different than anything we had heard before, or probably since. Um, it had a very kind of primal sound to it, actually. Um, and visually, I thought probably one of the more stunning episodes of any Doctor Who story. Um, this happens to be, shout out to my sister, Caitlin. She absolutely loved this as a kid. She was scared by it, especially when the eyes turned yellow and the master when he, and, and Midge when they're in inside uh, on Earth. What would Kate rate? Oh, I have no idea. I'd have to ask her. Um, I don't want to speak for her. <laughs> Um, but at any rate, um, I will give this a solid 7 out of 10. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a solid story, and I, I like it. All right. Well, that's it for us here. Bye. Bye.